0: Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. You know, there was so much that went down last night. I mean, last night was really a great night for sports. You had the Bucks absolutely wrecking the heat. You had Damian Lillard going human blowtorch in the first half. I mean, there was a lot going on last night. However, nothing, and I mean nothing, generated the buzz, the heat, the viral reaction, like a 45-second clip from a golf interview that never actually aired, if you can believe that. I'm talking about this clip from a post-round interview of Brooks Kepka at the PGA Championship. Now, if you've already seen this, you know where I'm going. If not, listen up. Follow closely. If you're listening and you're not able to actually see the interview – you will be able to tell the very moment that somebody walks by during the interview. Go ahead and roll this. Ready? Golf course was asking a lot from you today, Brooks. What were you able to do well and put up that nice number?
1: Just ball struck my way around this place. Uh, didn't putt well, but I don't think many guys are going to putt well with this win. It's it's very tough. I don't, like I said, I don't know what other guys have said. Or, I just felt it difficult to read, you know, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes um, I, f- him, also, I lost my train of thought Yeah, hearing that bull
2: we're going to enjoy that in the TV compound
0: <laughs> I honestly wouldn't even care I mean that is amazing I wish I could have shown that to you and because I couldn't, you need to go find that yourself if you've not seen it already. That is absolutely incredible. I mean, it's incredible. What that was, was Brooks Kepka talking to Todd Lewis of the Golf Channel after his round. And he's doing your typical post-round interview. He's answering a question about his day. He's talking about ball striking and the challenge of putting on those greens. And then all of a sudden, everything changes. It goes from, like, nebulous to absolutely incredible in a nanosecond. And the reason everything changed was because Bryson DeChambeau walked past him. That was the moment the video transcended golf. (laughs) That was the moment that video transcended sports. You had people who had no idea who Bryson and Brooks were and what their deal was and what their story was And they're tweeting about these guys. Like, that's how significant that was. They have no idea who they're tweeting about, but they're tweeting about them. And it's so good for golf. Because, let's be honest for a minute, as much as you might like it, golf is kind of a niche sport, right? Those who like it love it. But the vast majority of people in this country, and even the vast majority of sports fans, probably do not know who Brooks and Bryson are. They just don't. But they do now. That went viral in an absolute heartbeat. I mean, not since, I don't know, Mariah Carey talked about Jennifer Lopez, has one star given that stronger reaction to another star. And unlike some things that go viral immediately, this actually deserved it because it's awesome. All right, so I know you can't see it. Just close your eyes and just listen really carefully. Think about this for a minute as I run it back again. Ball struck my way around this
1: place. Um... Uh- did putt well, but I don't think many guys are gonna putt well with this wind. It's it's very tough. I don't like I said. I don't know what other guys have said, or I just felt it difficult to read. You know, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes um, I f- lost. Well, I lost my train of thought? Yeah, hearing that bull. <laughs>
2: Christ. All right. This, yeah, yeah, we <laughs> We're
0: going to enjoy that at the TV compound. I I honestly wouldn't even care. Listen, as good as this sounds, it looks 100 times better. I mean, it is so incredible. I mean, this is why I'm going to start a show with it. Maybe it's just me, but I'm starting to think that Brooks doesn't really like Bryson. In fact, I'm starting to think he hates the guy. Truly, I'm starting to think that Brooks hates Bryson more than anybody hates anything or anybody. Maybe it's just me. I mean, I don't know. I don't know exactly what Bryson said when he went by. I don't know if he said anything at all. I don't know if it was just the spikes. I know this. Had he brushed up against Brooks or tried him in any way, it looked like Brooks was ready to give Bryson them hands. I don't know why exactly Brooks hates Bryson. I just know that he does, and so do a lot of other people. You now, in Brooks's case, it could be any number of things. Maybe it's their past history. Maybe it's the fact that Bryson takes an eternity before shots. And Kepka has got no time for all the time that Bryson takes. And then Bryson told his caddy, or caddy that Brooks should say it to his face. Maybe it's the fact that Bryson took a shot at Kepka's physique in the body issue with this line. Quote, I don't think his genetics even make him look good. Did you see the body issue? He didn't have any abs. I have abs. End quote. And, of course, Brooks fired back with a photo of his four major trophies and a caption, quote, You were right, Bryson. I am too short of a six-pack. End quote. I don't know. Maybe... Brooks mocking Bryson for wanting relief from fire ants, or maybe it's the fact that Bryson was wearing metal spikes and seemed to be doing his best to make as much noise as possible. Run it back yet again and listen for the spikes this time. Ball struck my way around this place. Uh, didn't putt well, but
1: I don't think many guys are going to putt well with this wind. It's it's very tough. I don't, like I said. I don't know what other guys have said or. I just felt it difficult to read. You know, sometimes... <laughs>
3: sometimes... Um,
1: I f- lost, I lost my train of thought, yeah. <laughs> Hearing that bull****. <laughs> Christ. alright
2: over. let's... We're going to enjoy that in the TV
3: compound.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I honestly wouldn't even care. Yeah, not as much as I'm going to enjoy that in the radio compound the radio-slash-TV compound, the jungle simulcast compound. Like, I can't get enough of that. I've already watched it about 20 times, and I know I'm going to watch it probably 20 more times before the end of the day. Not since Jacoby Jones dropped an awkward awkward... ...during a Pelicans game have I been this riveted by an interview. But Brooks on Bryson is so much better than even Jacoby, and Jacoby was great. It's just that Brooks is that much better. Like, this is a clip... That has launched a thousand memes. That was an instant meme. You're going to be seeing parts of that for a long time to come. Starting with Brooks dropping a quote, I bleeping lost my train of thought hearing that bull bleep. It's perfect. It's so viral and so memeable because you can use that for almost anything at all anytime anybody does or says something stupid on Twitter from now on, you can just hit them with quote, I bleeping lost I lost my train of thought hearing that bull bleep. As an example, nothing could ever bump LT from the drop that Alvin plays when a caller gets run. But Kepka came damn close with that quote I lost my train of thought hearing that bull bleep. I lost my train of thought, yeah them I, like I mean honestly that's pretty much what goes through my head when I run a bad call and forget the audio of the interview you can just go frame by frame and grab a thousand stills that are worth a billion words just as facial expressions alone are awesome like the closed eyes quote I've had enough of this crap when Bryson starts clomping over that kind of serenity now exhale as Bryson walks by. The incredible head shake. The hardest eye roll you've ever seen. The eye roll is so strong, you could almost hear it. Like, he hit that so hard, I was concerned his eyeballs were going to fall out of his head. And then we're back to the iconic, and yes, it is iconic, quote, I lost my train of thought hearing that bull bleep. (laughs) I lost my train of thought, yeah. And then... The exasperated, quote, bleeping Christ. Christ. Bleeping Christ. It's Jason Bourne. And then at the very end, the exhale and that partial laugh like, man, can you even believe this, dude? And then when (laughs) the reporter says, yeah, we're going to get a good laugh out of this back at the TV compound. At that point, Brooks is like, yeah, like, I care.
1: I honestly wouldn't even care.
0: My man. So if you're wondering about whether or not Bryson knows about the clip, if it worked its way back to him, wonder no more, because somebody posted it on Instagram with the caption, quote, Brooks is not a fan of Bryson and his spikes. Bryson jumps into the comments with, quote, you know, you can fix spike marks now with the crying laughing emoji. Ooh, roasted. Boom. Out of here. Yeah, I know this. Best part is it's not over. Best part is, it's still going strong. Best part is, I can't wait for these two dudes to tee it up together. Or better yet, get paired up together. Can we just start a petition for the USGA to make this dream a reality at the US Open at Torrey in a few weeks? You want ratings? That's what you should do. When contacted by Golf.com about that video, Brooks' agent Blake Smith said he had, quote, no comment. I feel ya. I get it, Blake. I do. I have a comment. My comment is, this is awesome. I loved it. I loved everything about it, and I loved how Brooks handled it. That is legendary. So forget about Phil winning on Sunday. The most memorable thing about the weekend was that video. That's what's going to stay with me from that weekend. Akiwa. A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online, so any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore, so
4: we're calling for a new generation of thinking, your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will
0: help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. Jonathan Jones is my guest. Jonathan, what's going on? How are you? I am great, Jim. Happy to be on with you. Hope you're doing well. Same, man. Same. Great to have you back, and I'm doing awesome. As you pointed out, Julio Jones is a pretty quiet person, right? Or, I should say, a relatively private person. He's not looking for attention, yet knowing that, you see him show up on FS1 yesterday and say what he said. When you saw that, what did you think?
5: Yeah, well, first of all, Jim, I am aware that you and I are live on air right now. I'm not entirely sure that Julio knew that uh, yesterday, but... When I, uh, be that as it may, when I heard him say that and the way that he said that, what it, and I've been reporting on this and talking with sources uh, over the weekend about it, and so when I heard him say that, it wasn't like, oh, my gosh, I'm done there. I don't want anything to do with Atlanta anymore. What it read to me as was, I know I'm out of there because we have been in constant communication. Julio Jones's agent uh, is also the agent to Arthur Smith, the new head coach. There is a clear... Uh, line of communication, multiple lines of communication. So Julio is very aware that Atlanta is trying to trade him, that they need to trade him in order to release some salary cap space. And so when I heard, oh, I'm out of there, it was more of, I understand this is a fait accompli, not, I'm totally done with Atlanta and I never want to go back to the city again.
0: All right. so it's a really interesting response in the sense that you answered like three or four of my questions, but let me reset this. Jonathan Jones, my guest, you actually touched on something I wanted to ask you about. Do you think that he knew he was on the air? (laughs)
5: <laughs> I listen, I'm not sure one way or the other, but my educated guess and after talking with a couple of folks down in Atlanta who did not know one way or the other, everyone said that it would have been out of character for Julio to have said what he said on air. This is not a guy who seeks to make off-season headlines. He doesn't seek to make in-season headlines outside of his play on the field and it's I'm hard-pressed to remember a time that he went out of his way to uh, to allow an interview to take place uh, outside of training camp, and so uh, we didn't hear from him for most of the season because he was out uh, with injuries, and I didn't anticipate that we would hear from him until he was mandated to speak to the media with his new team, whatever that may be. So I I would be surprised, and people I spoke with who know Julio much better than I would be surprised if he knew that he was live
0: on air. I think you're right. I I don't know if he knew or did not know, but it certainly was out of character. I was like, whoa. I mean, did he really just say that? And then the context of exactly what he said. So let's just go back to this really quickly. What's your sense of what's going on here? Like, is it the function of the team being in a bad cap spot and needing to trade him? Or is it about Julio knowing that, he, that team might be in that spot, and he wants to control it himself? Does he just want out? Like, why are we where we are with him?
5: I think we're here now because of the cap crunch that was brought on by uh, the COVID-19 financial losses. If the cap were had stayed static and had been around $210 million, the, the Falcons would still be in cap trouble, but they wouldn't need to get rid of a player who makes their team better. And that's what Julio does. They, the Falcons do not at all believe... Uh, number one, that they are going to be in tank or rebuild mode. I don't know if they necessarily view this as a championship window team like the previous regime did and tried to hold on to after that Super Bowl 51 run. But the reality is that they restructured um, Jake Matthews and Deion Jones and Matt Ryan, and that left Julio and Grady Jarrett. And they don't want to have to kick the can down the road on both of those guys. They want to free up space with one of them, and they would much rather uh, free it up via a trade of Julio where they could get relief of 15 or so million dollars, rather than restructuring Grady and having to worry about it down the road. Now, the interesting thing here is, is how much leverage do the Atlanta Falcons have? They obviously need a competitive trade market in order to uh, relieve that 15 million dollars. And so they, they're probably going to get a second round pick and maybe something else, a conditional fit is what one executive said to me uh, the other day. But what another team that's trading for Julio is definitely going to want to do is have Atlanta pay some of that salary. So will Atlanta have to pay $5 million of the 15 and still get $10 million in cap relief? I think that's the math that's going to have to be worked out between a competing team – that winds up trading for Julio Jones.
0: Jonathan Jones joining us. All right, so that answers the question, what is the market for him? Maybe a second-round pick and something else. What then are some possible landing spots for him?
5: Yeah, so you have to look at places that have the salary cap space, right? And about a quarter of NFL teams have $15 million in salary cap space. But he's not going to the Jags. He's not going to the Lions. He wants to win. And so now you start looking at it, well, the Niners have the cap space. Uh, are they going to execute the trade? Obviously, he could reunite with Kyle Shanahan. That would make plenty of sense. If the Broncos were to continue their pursuit of an Aaron Rodgers, for example, and in that pursuit, they then have to give the Green Bay Packers, let's say Jerry Judy, uh, then that opens up a gigantic hole for a need for a top-wide receiver. And I could see the Broncos with the cap space making that move, but that's a little outside, and a lot of things have to happen. I'd also look at the Titans. Uh, who would have to maneuver and massage the cap. But the fact is, if you were trading for a guy like Julio Jones, you are going to make sure that you can do whatever it needs to, to bring him on from a cap perspective. So I could see those teams. And of course, we heard from Aaron Rodgers yesterday, right? And if the Green Bay Packers want to continue to try to make it right to Rodgers. If they continue to want to hold the boombox outside of his window and let him know how <laughs> desperate they are to have him, then they can trade a second-round pick for Julio, and maybe we'll see him back in the green and gold.
0: We are talking to Jonathan Jones. All right, you mentioned Aaron Rodgers and the fact that we heard from him. What do you make of what you heard from him yesterday, and does it feel like we're any closer to a resolution, or are we in the same spot that we've been for several weeks now or months between him and that team?
5: Yeah, I think we're mostly in the same spot. I would say that we really reached that fever pitch on draft day and draft night, of course, um, and, and really in the preceding days after. But you know, I look at this Rogers thing, and the drama has cooled, and he's sort of in his corner, saying, you know, very clearly has issues with management, and very clearly has issues with the way in which he was not informed of the Jordan Love pick and everything else that has flown from that with a championship-caliber team and not giving him, in his mind, the proper uh, tools around him. Meanwhile, the Green Bay Packers are not picking up the phone if anyone's calling for Aaron Rodgers, and frankly, they don't have to right now. So right now, it seems, based off of his comments where he's not backing down, the Packers don't really have a reason right now to back down, this is going to go through June, probably into July, and then we're going to see once we get to training camp if the, how long the Packers want to go with Blake Bortles and Jordan Love taking first-team snaps, and what what is their stomach going to be for having an absence of Aaron Rodgers at camp?
0: So exactly. So how do you think that plays out? I mean, do you expect him to be starting for Green Bay in Week One, maybe with a new contract, or do you see him playing for somebody else?
5: You know, the longer this goes on without him landing somewhere else or without more drama, of course, you, you start to wonder, well, maybe it is going to happen. I I know this. I know that uh, everything that was reported there at the end of April was true and was how Aaron Rodgers felt. Maybe he's cooled off a little bit, but we do know that he is a legendary grudge holder. Uh, and so if if he's still feeling this way today, which I would not at all put past him, then I think that we're in the exact same place as we were uh, in April, uh, pre-draft and during the draft. And I would say that it is unlikely that he is going to be the Green Bay Packers quarterback in week one. I would say it is still more likely than not that he is quarterbacking another team in 2021. And I still – Add the Denver Broncos at the top of that list.
0: Jonathan Jones joining us. Jonathan, before you go, let me ask you about Deshaun Watson. There's a lot going on, obviously, there. He's not participating in OTAs, and according to reports, he still wants to be traded. Where do things stand with Watson, the Texans, and the league? Yeah,
5: it's, it's absolutely, again, in a holding pattern. And I've brought up a couple times in this segment about how nothing has to be done yet. The NFL doesn't have to hand down a punishment yet. We don't have anything... From the court system either um civil or criminal just yet right and so because these are optional and voluntary workouts deshaun obviously doesn't have to show up whether he had this hanging over his head or not but the murkiness of all of this when you consider all of that and then you consider okay you want to be traded what team right now is going to trade for you with the specter of maybe he plays week one maybe he doesn't get onto the field until week seven or who knows what and so because of that, I don't see how any team right now or any time in the near future could put together a trade package where they believe it's fair, the Texans believe it's fair, and the team that would be trading for him can, while these, these lawsuits are still out there, rightfully say to their fans, we have thoroughly vetted this when there's no way to thoroughly vet right now.
0: Jonathan Jones joining me for another moment or so. Also, before you go, you tweeted this morning, the NFL team presidents have a call today and there's going to be a virtual owners' meeting tomorrow. What's your sense as to what's going to be covered in the owners' meetings?
5: Yeah, so they're going to talk about a rule proposal on low blocks that was tabled from their last owners' meeting. They're going to talk about uh, fan capacity at stadiums. We know that the NFL, Commissioner Roger Goodell and others, have been saying for uh, more than a month now that they expect – uh, full capacity at all NFL stadiums this upcoming season and we saw uh, with the Giants and Jets we just saw with the Carolina Panthers yesterday they're all saying it's going to be 100% capacity I expect all 32 teams at some point to follow suit by the time we get to early to mid-September and the other thing is going to be vaccination rates of players coaches staff and personnel we've been waiting we the media have been waiting to hear from the league about what those rates are i don't know if we're going to find out necessarily but teams are required each week to update the league on their vaccination rates uh and so we're going to see if that sort of news ever makes it out as we just heard today uh that we're going to reach a milestone of half of american adults being vaccinated
0: he is a senior NFL reporter and an insider for CBS Sports and CBS Sports HQ, part of the top crew on CBS Sports Network. Good friend of the program. He is Jonathan Jones. Jonathan, appreciate you as always. Thanks so much. Great job. Appreciate you. It's Small Business Month, and Dell Technologies and Windows are celebrating your unstoppable drive. Save up to 45% on powerful PCs with Windows 10 Pro to work from anywhere, and top monitors and docks for the ultimate business setup, all with easy financing options through Dell Financial Services. Speak to a Dell Technologies advisor who can help you find the right business, tech, server, storage, and cloud solutions at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL for Small Business Month Savings. That SmackOff 27 is not just happening, but it's coming fast. It's the happening Smack soon. Off. Hella soon. Like how soon? 31 days. 22 shows soon. And in case you missed it, the date for this year's main event is Friday, June 25th. So it is officially go time. Time to RSVP. Time to get the reps in. Time to get qualified. Time to renew rivalries and beefs. Time to clear the calendar. Time for all of that, because time is running out. And on top of that, time for me to start running down the field and profiling the players so you know exactly what you're about to hear and what the very best of the best are capable of doing on the biggest stage. Now, before I do that, let me just throw a couple of things out quickly. The first thing is this. Now that 60%—I need you to listen carefully. Now that 60% of the country has been vaccinated— and the COVID case numbers are the lowest they've been in a year, you're starting to see the reopening of the country and moving closer and closer to normal and full capacity, or at least close to it. Don't believe me? Did you see MSG for the next playoff game over the weekend? Did you see the gallery and the crowd around Hefty at the PGA on Sunday? I say that to say this. If you know of any smack-off watch parties, or if you own a business and you're thinking about hosting a smack-off watch party, make sure to let us know. Hit us up, tweet at us, or email the program. Just make sure you get at us. If you tweet, be sure to tag me and Adam Hawk both. Make sure you hit us both. That way, either one or both of us will see it. You don't want to have something like that and not have the folks know about it. So hit me and hit him both. As an example, back in 2019, we had seven different smack-off 25 watch parties around the country. Seven that I knew of. So if you have a business that wants to try to pull this off, let us know so we can let the clones in your area know. Something to think about as we're now less than five weeks out. The other thing I want to mention, I've got a poll up right now on my Twitter feed. I am not usually a poll guy. Normally, I think that's really cheesy and a really contrived way to drive interaction. Not my deal. Unless the poll refers to the content we created on the program, like the Smack Off. So I do have a poll up right now on my Twitter feed asking you who you think is the best Smack Off caller ever. So far, or at last check, there were 6,000 votes. And a lot of comments where people are writing in their choice. I'm gonna keep that poll up for another couple of days and then talk about it more on the program because the reaction really is fascinating. In fact, that's why I'm more glad that I put it up there for the reaction than anything else. Not to quote drive the interaction per se, but some of the write in stuff is amazing. And also what I'm seeing is a lot of the old school jungle from the late 90s and early 2000s is getting a ton of love. Like I could see right in Canada's based on the reaction I'm seeing. So check that out. Vote before it closes if you want to weigh in. That's on my Twitter feed, at Jim Rome, right near the top. All right, so let's officially begin the player profiles for Smackoff 27. And let me lead things off with a heavy hitter from my home away from home. My home away from home, where I will once again be home soon. Wisco. And if I'm talking about Wisco, you know I'm talking about Benny in Wisco. Benny in Wisco has been in the last four smack-offs and has never finished outside the top 10 in any of them. Now, before you write that off as a meaningless stat, a participation trophy kind of stat. Before you write him off, because he's never won one before, consider that last year, Chael Sonnen, Vic in NoCal, Rick in Buffalo, Mark in Boston, Jeff in Southfield, and Cal in Vegas all finished outside the top 10. That's how competitive it is and how different that day is when the bright lights go on. So it's no small feat to start your smackoff career hitting the board four straight times, especially when three of those finishes are actually top fives. And last year, Benny showed up big. He finished third in one of the tightest and closest fisters we've ever had. So before I get to a smack-off call, I need to reset an all-time classic call from Brandon in Portland. Listen very closely to the end of this call.
2: Up here, Portland woman, she doesn't shave, she doesn't clean up. They put her on TV. Turn on any Portland channel, you'll find Portland woman showing off her stuff, gray hair, no makeup, all the wrinkles to boot. To Portland woman, please... Please, do us all a favor to clean it up.
0: Brandon in Portland, begging, pleading with the women of Portland to, quote, clean it up.
2: Please, do us all a favor to clean it up.
0: So, a great line among many great lines in a great phone call. But that line could get lost in the shuffle. Benny, however, subtly resets it at the very beginning of his bronze medal smack-off call last summer.
2: Chael, you sounded like you were calling from the coffin you were buried in after the last smackoff. Clean it up. Caleb, we can actually hear your phone crying during your call. Clean it up. Jeff in Richmond, the reason you're the dirtiest player in the game is because you can't reach your backside.
0: Clean it up. So this guy, man, Benny is sneaky like that. You got to pay close attention to Benny and Wisco because he's smart and he can pull from every era of the program. Here's more from that 2020 third-place effort in the Smack Off.
2: Rick and Buffalo, you look like Rhea Perlman shaved her head. I always thought the reason Rick screamed throughout his calls was because he couldn't figure out how to turn off the caps lock when he typed his script. But as it turns out, it's because Rick is four foot eleven. When Rick makes his calls from the local payphone, he's got to knock the receiver off the hook with a broom and scream at the top of his lungs at it while it's swinging above his head in order for anyone to hear him. Rick, you're shorter than Kyle in Green Bay's life expectancy. People like to tear into Brad for not talking sports, but Brad told me he played water polo in college, which I guess is technically a sport, but let's face it, water polo is your parents saying, we hate you but it's not legal to kill you. So instead, they barrel-tossed little Bradley into the deep end at age five and forced him to tread water while getting kicked and punched by all the other spoiled brats whose parents have had enough.
0: I'm telling you, that was an unbelievable call from anybody, but especially when you consider the guy. And I say that because this is a guy who branded himself as this generation's Gaucho Bill with all the rat smack, remember? I've said it before, I'll say it again. Benny has made an all-time jungle pivot. As an example, imagine, say, imagine Rex stopped doing what he does and made the call you just heard. Benny used to make as many cheese and rat puns as Rex has made growler calls. And now Benny is a legitimate threat to win the main event Anytime he shows up because he reinvented himself, he's got the game, the smack. I mean, it's an awesome, awesome reinvention for this guy. Not so awesome, however, for Garrett Ritt. Nope. He had to hear from Ben on his very first day as a member of the XR4TI. Do you remember that?
2: Hey, a quick shout out to the new bald guy, Vin Weasel, behind the glass. Uh, Congrats on the new gig. Now, I can't see behind the table, but does the studio allow for enough room for your wheelchair, Professor X? I heard someone refer to you as Michael Stipe earlier. That's not really fair or nice, but it is good to have some new shiny, happy people on staff, isn't it? And uh, I have no idea what your name is, but between your chrome dome and your department store brand outfit, you should probably change it to Michael Jordash.
0: Freaking Benny. Hey, Vin Weasel, tell him how his ass tastes. (laughs) So Benny's got lines for days, and he's got four short years where he's amassed a pretty impressive body of work. Like the rare new guy where it feels like this guy's actually been around forever, and that's high praise. But then again, he has earned all that positive praise.
2: Based on what I've heard or not heard from the rest of the field, it's going to be an easy job. Even easier a job than the guy who tested Owen Wilson and Patrick Ewing for COVID. Or Jeff in Richmond pulling up to Pottery Barn for a massage because his dyslexic ass accidentally Googled Rug and tub. I know we're not supposed to talk about sex during our calls this year, but can I still mention the nachos on Caleb's bedpost? Rome, when did you and the selection committee expand the smack-off to a field of 68-year-olds? As Mike and Indy would probably say, it's still called the smack-off. Not the Gandalf. Quick shout out to the clones hitting Rich and Brad's golf outing this afternoon. Between all the crabs and psoriasis joining that crowd, I'd be willing to bet that that course has never seen a bigger group of scratch golfers. And I have no idea what the hell Jeff in Southfield talks about when he calls in. I mean, does Jeff just look around his apartment and write a script based on what he sees? Softball, bacon bits, medium-sized Cat turd. Hey, Jeff Passon, your call was the Brandy Chastain plaque of smack-off calls. All distorted, poorly crafted, and in dire need of being melted down and reconstructed. Brad, a little after-party advice for you tonight. Bottomless mimosas is a drink promotion, not a dress code. Have fun at Hennessy's chugging beer out of Luis and Palmdale's prosthetic leg. And when your mom asks you how your phone call to the Jim Rome show went, you say, Mom, it was like a smuggled heroin balloon at an airport. Wrecked him. Listen up. Don't call in. You guys are terrible. Mice up, son. Mice up. Well, thanks, Jim. And like Brad and Corona is probably saying to his coworkers right now, see you next year.
0: <laughs> Man, my man's done a hell of a lot of damage in a relatively short period of time. Like I said, lines, four days. Benny and Wisco, four events, four top tens, three top fives, a podium finished last year. I mean, you got to think. You got to think, it's not a question of if, but a matter of when for that guy, because he just gets better and better and better every single year. Is 2021 his time to bring the very first title back to a place called Titletown? This title anyway. In 31 days, we'll find out. Clones, what do we want when we're craving protein or we need more energy? Not bars, not sugary snacks, not energy drinks. No, you know what we want? We want beef. We want beef, pure and simple. So, where is the beef? It's in a package of Old Trapper beef jerky. Old Trapper is not your old man's jerky. Shriveled, dry, tasteless. No, Old Trapper beef jerky is made from lean strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. It's tender, it's tasty, it's not tough. And why is it so good? Because Old Trapper is a 50-year-old family business known for their relentless commitment to quality. They take smoked beef extremely seriously. You can taste it in every single bite. Old Trapper is packed with protein. It comes in four amazing flavors to satisfy all your cravings. Quality smoked meat. At its finest, that goes with you wherever you go. Make sure you look for it in the clear view bag. That way you can see the quality you're buying. That's why it's in a clear view bag. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? I'm speaking of Chase Elliott. Chase, good to have you back. How are you? Yeah, man. Thanks for uh, thanks for having me. Always good to have you. So, Chase, take me back to Sunday, if you don't mind, and the circuit of the America's Road Course. You're absolutely dominant on road courses. So, what was your mindset and your approach going into that race?
6: Yeah, Dakota was just different. I mean, obviously with the with the rain and the forecast and and just the unknown of the weekend, I, I just felt like the landscape of that one was really shaping up to be much. Uh, much different a much different challenge than, than we've seen. Uh, the Cup Series hasn't done uh, really any racing in the rain, and I haven't done uh, much of it in, in my career either. So it was, um, it was different to say the least, uh, a completely different challenge and, and just uh, putting it all together you know was tough. but I feel like our team did a solid job. We just kept pushing, and and I felt like we were at our very best at the very end of the race, which is all you can ask for. So really proud of our group and and glad to grab a win here in 2021 Uh,
0: hopefully we can get some more. We're talking to Chase Elliott. So Chase, that win moved Hendrick Motorsports into a tie with Petty Enterprises for the most all-time wins. What does it mean then to play a role in making history like that for the team?
4: It's
6: huge. I mean, Mr. Hendrick is... You know, he, he's been around the sport for a long time, and, and he's done a lot of great things for a lot of great people over over the course of his career with, with offering them opportunities and and uh, not just drivers. I mean, he's got 600 plus employees just on his just on his race team, and that that's not including all of his automotive groups um, on his car business side. So, just uh, you know, a really a, a stand up guy and. and, and from from my perspective, he's he's changed my life and and the opportunities he's offered me and the things he's done for me. So, uh, just really proud to be a part of his team. He's a guy that deserves to win in my personal opinion, um, and I'm glad to see him be able to tie that record and and uh, have a small part in that. And, and uh, look forward to look forward to trying to get him some more. He deserves to be on top and. I think one day he will
0: be. We are talking to Chase Elliott. I'm going to try and circle back to what you said about him and what he's meant to you. But I do want to ask you this. If we were to go back to last fall, you and I spoke a couple of days before the final race at Phoenix. You were coming off that win at Martinsville. And I had the sense at that time, Chase, that you were really locked in and focused. Then you go out and you win at Phoenix and you win the Cup Series title. As you look back on that last race and the experience of winning the title, what are the moments that stick out to you the most?
6: Yeah, it was such a unique, uh, such a unique time frame, right? And I know we we did chat that week, Um, and it was it was it was just a big time challenge because the way that that went, you know, we weren't locked into the final race until you know just seven days before the championship race, right? So we were in a in a position where we had a quick turnaround to get prepared for that last race in the manner we need to be um but at the same time I just felt like we were really clicking and we were really peaking at the right time we were we were really locked in as a team focused on the things that mattered um, and we really just didn't put a lot of emphasis or any emphasis on anybody or anything outside of our circle and and just focused on the things that were going to make us go faster and that was really our message throughout that entire week and that was a message to myself you know if it's not something that's going to make me go faster I don't care about it And and that was really how I went about the week and Um, it was a lot of great lessons to take from
0: that, and that was certainly one of them. I love that. That's awesome. If it's not something that's going to make me go faster, I'm not going to concern myself with it. Chase Elliott joining us. You know, in a way, Chase, for Outsiders... It might be easy for them to see this or to think this way about you, that you're the son of a legend, you had great success early in your career. A Cup Series title then was fate. It was destiny. It was inevitable. But it wasn't always that way, right? Back in 2013, you ran some truck races, but your sponsor was not coming back for the following season. As you've said, so many stars had to align for you to be at the right time to get to Henrik Motorsports. So what were those early days really like?
6: Yeah, it was, you know, as I mentioned before, just everything had to align at the right time. And, and, you know, fortunately for me, they they did. You know, we were in a position there where we had a partner and, and they, were, they weren't they were coming back the next year. And I was, you know, going into uh, my senior year of high school. Uh, obviously, that's a you know, time in your life where you kind of want to figure out what's next. So um, I was, you know, at the end of 2013, I was you know, prepared either way. I was, I was ready to go to college the next year if I was going to race part time, uh, which that was discussed. And then if, if Napa came on board, we were going to have a full time season at Junior Motor 2014. And, and that was really the opportunity that allowed me to get to cup and to end up here at HMS and be where I'm at now. So, um, it really comes back to Napa. I know, you know, we, we as NASCAR drivers are always talking about our sponsors, but it's for good reason. It's because those folks really paved the way and, and allow opportunities for us drivers that we wouldn't have otherwise. And, and Napa was really that company for me and has been since. We've it's had a great partnership, and we've had um, we've had a lot of success together in, in a short time, a lot of success that I'm not sure any of us were um, prepared for or would have thought we would have had at this juncture. But um, they, they were the ones that, that opened the door, and, and Mr. Hendricks for allowing me to be a part of his team and welcoming me with open arms. If everything came together at the right time, and I feel like racing is about good timing, good people, and I've been fortunate to have a lot of both uh, throughout my career, and uh, very appreciative of all of them.
0: Chase Elliott joining us. You're right. You need that sponsorship, and most of all, you need somebody to believe in you, which brings me back to Rick Hendrick. You know, at a time, Chase, when maybe not everybody did why do you think it was that he had such a strong conviction and belief in you? What do you think he saw in you at that time, and then what does it mean to have that support even when you were not yet dominating?
3: Yeah, that's a great
6: a great a great question. You'll have to ask him. I mean there, there were times through, through that period where I wasn't performing it at as high of a level as I felt like I was capable of or felt like I needed to be either. Um, he had a a good friend kind of in the Gulf Coast area that uh, was an area that I did a lot of short track racing in, and and because of him, he kind of mentioned me to the boss, and and that was really what opened the door initially. Um, and and then from there, yeah, Mr. Hendricks just kind of kept belief in me, and and wanted me to be a part of his team. You know, I remember the first meeting we had together. He said, "Look," he said, "I was, you know, 15, I think, at the time, and." It was kind of one of those things, like, "Hey, look, you know, I don't know how I can help. I don't know what the right steps are, but I want to help, and I want to, I want to be a part of this journey." And he stuck true to that. You know, like I said, he—that is no doubt—he he has changed my life. So um, yeah, I can't say enough about him and, and the opportunities he's provided me with. And I'm just trying to trying to make him proud. And anytime somebody you know sticks their neck out for you and, and gives you chances, um, I feel like it the number one thing is to make those people proud and and that's really at the top of my mind and and what we do each week.
0: Chase Elliott joining us. You know, Chase, Sunday is the Coca-Cola 600. That is a monster of a race. I mean, a bear of a race. What's it take from an endurance standpoint, for instance?
6: Yeah, you know, it it is. And obviously the length of the race, it's the longest race of the year. Uh, From a driver's standpoint, though, I'll be real honest, it doesn't feel a lot different. You know, when, when you you know, it is an extra hour long, um, but I feel like when you get locked in and you kind of start those races, you know, you have the green flag and you get to halfway and, and you know, you, you kind of assess where you are. That, I think the biggest challenge with that race is just the, the change of the track because it is so long. We transition from a hot summer day into a, into a nighttime condition, and, and Charlotte is a place that has some age to the surface. Um, and it changes a lot, speeds pick up a lot into the night and, and the car balance can change with that too. So that's the biggest thing with that race is just staying on top of that and, and being aware of what's going on as the sun's setting, how your car is changing and what you need to do to, to be on top of that at the very end, because obviously that's the part that that matters. So we're, uh, we're locked into that right now. I feel like we had a great car there, there last year, had a good, had a good couple runs at Charlotte as a whole um so just trying to build on that and and you know most importantly just be in position there in those final hundred miles
0: he is the driver of the number nine car for henrik motorsports the 2020 nascar cup series champion the coca-cola 600 is sunday 6 p.m eastern from charlotte motor speedway you can see that on fox he is chase Elliott. chase great to have you back thanks so much always good to talk to you on the program yeah man thanks
6: for having me as always and hope you all have a good week
0: So let's be real for a minute. Two out of three men will experience some form of hair loss by the time they're 35. And more than 50 million men in the US suffer from male pattern baldness. And there are only two FDA approved medications that can prevent hair loss. Keeps offers both. Let's talk about Keeps. Keeps offers a simple, stress free way to keep your hair. Convenient virtual doctor consultations and medications delivered straight to your door every three months. You do not have to leave your home and low cost treatments starting at just 10 bucks a month and keeps offers generic versions discreet packaging and proven results. Keeps also has more five-star reviews than any of the competition. Prevention is key. Treatments can take four to six months to see results, so you want to start right now. If you're ready to take action and prevent hair loss, go to keeps.com/rome to get your first month of treatment for free. Keeps.com/rome and get your first month free. That's keeps.com/rome. Antoine Bethay is my guest. Antoine, good to have you back. How are you?
4: I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How you doing?
0: Good dude. Good. So you and I spoke on this show back in December, and then in January you announced your retirement. So what was that decision making process like for you and how is retirement treating you so far?
4: Man, I do that process was it it was it was looming. You know, it was one of them things that I was at peace with, kinda of had in my mind. Um, that I was going to do it around that time, you know, obviously speaking with the wife and the fam, it was just, uh, you know, it was just the the perfect time for me, man. And, And right now, man, I'm enjoying it, enjoying the time with the family, with my little ones being able to go to their flag football games, track meets, and things of that nature. So, uh, retirement and treat me treat me well
0: that's good that's the best Antoine Buffet joining us you know when you look back on your career you were a sixth round draft pick out of Howard University the 207th pick in the 06 draft most guys who were chosen in that spot don't even make a team never play a game in the NFL yet you played 14 years you won a ring you went to three Pro Bowls how much pride is there then in those accomplishments given where you started
4: Man, a, a, a lot of pride in it. You know, a lot of pride and you know, not only for me, but the people that, that pushed me, that that supported me uh, day in and day out. But, again, just, to go, just goes to show, like, regardless of where you're you're picked in the draft, I think everybody um, enters that weekend with one thing in mind is just having that opportunity. And then, obviously, once you get that opportunity, uh, what are you going to do with it? And I think that was the biggest thing for me, just wanting an opportunity coming from Howard. I was able to, uh, to get that opportunity. And once I got it, I said I was going to hold on to it and never let it go. So I was blessed to play 14 years for uh, great organizations.
0: Antoine Bethe is joining us right now. As I mentioned, you're the co-host of the Man to Man pod. So let's break down a few topics really quickly. In the last 24 hours, there's been a lot of talk about Julio Jones and his future in Atlanta. Now, you know the NFL is a business, but how weird would it be to see Julio playing for somebody other than the Falcons?
4: It would be weird. It would be weird. But like you said, like it's 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 the ultimate business. It's the ultimate business. Um, and you know, I kind of found out the the hard way. I think um, you know when when Peyton Manning um, left the left the coast and went to Denver. Um, I, I don't think anybody would have ever thought of seeing eighteen in a you know in a different different uniform. But once I've seen that, I mean, it could happen to anybody. But um, you know, whoever gets Julio Jones, man, gonna get a, a, a freakish athlete, uh, a great wide receiver. So I'm, um, I'm, I'm waiting, looking like everybody else.
0: So Antoine, where do you think that he might end up?
4: Man, um, you know, you're hearing some talk um, with New England. Um, you know, me and my co-host uh, Darius Butler, you know, we said we would love him to see with the horseshoe on his helmet. Um, so you know, with, with, with what New England's done in this off season. For, uh, to bring some weapons in with Cam, if um, if Julio can get out there, I think that would be a beautiful um, a beautiful marriage out there.
0: Talking to Antoine Bethea, so in terms of the business side of the game, like for instance, what kind of thoughts do you have as you watch the Aaron Rodgers situation play out in Green Bay?
4: You know, I'm I'm actually enjoying this, right? So a lot of times, I think. I think now players are starting to realize how much power they have, right? So with Aaron Rodgers and, you know, him being there, I think it's 16 years, what he's done for that organization, um, playing at a high level. And obviously we don't all, we all don't know what's, what's happening behind the scenes, but obviously it's something that, that's rubbing him the wrong way. And he's, you know, I mean, he's standing firm on that. So now as, as guys continue to, to find out that, you know, we do have power in this league, um, they're starting to use it and using it in the right way.
0: Antoine, there's some amazing ambient sound right now. Like, I hear birds. Are those actual birds in the background? Where are you? Yeah,
4: man, I'm, I'm, I'm out on my front step, man. It's, uh, it's peaceful back here.
0: Dude, it sounds amazing. It sounds amazing. Peace That's is. the spot you want to be. We're talking to Antoine but oh. that sounds incredible. I don't think I've ever done an interview where I could hear birds like that before. You know, coming out of the draft, there were zero players from HBCU selected as the pride of Howard University, what was your reaction when you saw that coming out of the draft?
4: Man, I was upset. I was upset just because of and and, and granted, and not to make any excuses, but in the, coming from off the the COVID year, I know, um, you know Howard. You know we're trying to play some games during the spring, but it's it's so much talent in um in HBCU football, and I, I don't understand why it continues to go. Um, unnoticed, but I think uh, with the NFL, uh, with the, the 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 Hall of Fame, the Black College Hall of Fame, um, I think they're starting to do some things that's going to bring notori- more notoriety to the to the guys that's playing in, the, in HBCUs. Where you know we're going to have a combine, we're going to have an All Star game, so we can get more scouts and, and more personnel to see these guys. Because you know even when even in '06, you know it was times when I came into OTAs. And no knock on, you know, the big the power fives, but I knew instantly that I had two or three guys back at Howard that could be in camp and could perform really well. But just because of it was that um that narrative that was was, was put on on small on small schools, uh, that you know, the, the the talent wasn't really there. So it was really disheartening not not seeing any um any cats, any guys. Um, from HBCUs drafted in this past draft,
0: right? Antoine Bethay joining me for a few more moments. I mentioned also at the very top that you are the author of "Bet on Yourself: Inside the Mind of the Ultimate Underdog." What inspired you to write that book, and what do you want people to take away from that book?
4: Man, we all have a story to tell, right? We all have a story to tell, and um, you know, I always tell you know tell people like you never know who's watching, who's listening to you. So I just figured that you know I'll put my a little bit of my story um on paper and hopefully you know the reader could get some type of um inspiration and motivation from my story. It doesn't have you don't have to be a, a athlete or a football player, but just the you know, the trials and tribulations, the things that I uh, that I had to go through, um, consider myself an underdog. I'm pretty sure it's a million people in this world that consider themselves underdogs as well in their perspective field. If you could just read this book, get one or two things that you can kinda um, you know, pursue and, and 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 put in your life and it could help you get over your obstacles um that's what this whole this whole book and this journey is about
0: all right for those who do not know and i love the concept but where did the bet on yourself mindset come from
4: man it was just um again I, i'm not going to be naive and think that i'm the only one that 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 uses this model but it's something that i truly believe in um if you don't believe in yourself you don't bet on yourself who else will so um day in and day out throughout my career, that's what I did. I bet on myself. I'm gonna put my best foot best foot forward and um and let the chips fall where they make.
0: Listen, one of the things that strikes me about the way you've handled yourself in retirement is I could tell you're still getting after it in the gym. It'd be pretty easy to say, you know what, I've denied myself, I've sacrificed, now I'm gonna live that life, that good life. I don't need to go so hard in the gym anymore. So why do you still?
4: Man, it was a time I would say January and then I would say come March, man, I was looking at myself in the mirror. I was like, I can't <laughs> I can't let myself I can't let myself get away. You know, um so again, it's one of them things that even for me, it just helps helps me mentally. Um a lot of clarity as far as in my mind and just being able to get out of the house and just do something that um I know it just it's just it's good for me. I mean, as we all as we all say, health is wealth. So it just gotta stay fit.
0: Health is wealth, man. You got to move, right? You just got to always move. There's got to be movement. So Antoine, one last thought. You're hosting a basketball tournament. It's coming up and you mentioned it to Darius that you might play in it. Darius seemed to think that you might be good for six to eight points per game, but based entirely on hustle, maybe some set or setting some good picks too. Is he sleeping on your hoop skills and are you a certified bucket getter? I'm a
4: bucket getter, right? So one thing people have to know about Darius, man, Darius has a lot of hot takes, a lot of unnecessary takes, a lot of foolish takes. Very smart guy, though. Very smart, and I and I love him. But um, in his eyes, he's the next coming to, uh, next coming of 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 MJ or LeBron. Um, he definitely has some has some game, though. But <clears throat> if I'm out there on that court, I'm 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 for sure dropping at least 15.
0: I knew it, man. Co-host of the Man-to-Man pod, 14-year NFL vet. He's got a book out, too. Bet on yourself inside the mind of the ultimate underdog. 14 years in the league, three-time Pro Bowler and a Super Bowl champ, too. Antoine Bethea. Antoine, appreciate you very much, man. Great to have you back. Thank you.
4: No, Thank you, man. Appreciate you.
0: Ever think things like this, like, I'm not going very far, or I'm in a rush, or it's too uncomfortable, or sometimes I just forget. Listen, do not kid yourself. There is no such thing as a good excuse for not buckling up. If you've used any of these excuses or any others, you're putting yourself at risk of injury or death. In 2019, nearly 10,000 people were unbuckled when they were killed in crashes. That's 43% of people killed in motor vehicle crashes that were not wearing seatbelts. So no matter what kind of a car you drive, wearing your seatbelt is the best defense in a crash. Even when you sit in the back seat, you still have to buckle up. The same goes for when you ride in taxis or you use ride-sharing services too. Law enforcement is on the lookout and writing tickets, so why would you take that risk? Seatbelts save lives. Do the smart thing. Buckle up every single trip, day or night. Click it or take it. Paid for by NHTSA. Hey, Kathleen, what's up?
3: Okay, boozy. So... What, you bringing me up for what, because I trashed the Packers? Well, listen up here, boozy. Put down your beer, clean, out your ear, clean the cheese out of your ears, because I don't care that you don't like the, I trashed the Packers. I'll trash the Packers as I see fit. I turn on them the minute they drafted Jordan. I stand by Andrew, Aaron, 100%. If she don't like it, well, she can go jump in a dumpster, hang out with some trash pandas, and eat a maggot sandwich.
0: All right, Kathleen, you got that boozy in Wisco? If you don't like it, you can jump in a dumpster and eat a maggot sandwich, boozy, with trash pandas. Hey, one more thing, quote, boozy, clean the cheese out your ear. Back to West Virginia. Melissa, what's going on?
3: Hey, Jim. Well, I was sitting here waiting on the uh, phone to come through, you know, because you're such a popular dude and all that, and you're awesome. But um, I was thinking I'd like to enter this knockoff, but I'd really hate to send the other contestants home to their mom to cry on her lap of her house dress, apron, or, you know, jeans that match her butterfly collar. But I was thinking, um, what proof moonshine do you and the XR4T eyes like? Like 150, 120.
0: Buck 50 you know, it will do is legal
3: it. here in West Virginia now.
0: Buck 50 will do it.
3: 50? All right, sir. What flavor do you like?
0: Alcohol flavor.
3: Alcohol. Okay. And I wanted to thank you for sticking up for me yesterday when somebody said that I needed an interpreter. I am sorry. I was born and raised here, Jim. I've lived here for 46 years. I can't do anything about the accent, sir. And I'm one of these people that believes you should be yourself. And you and the XR4TI guys, I can tell, are, like, down to earth. and You're not one of those celebrities that's, like, stuck on yourself. And that's one of the things that makes the show so great, too. Seriously, because you talk about current events, and you can tell that you really care about, you know, certain topics. And I was just wondering, could you give a rundown on who's still in the Stanley Cup playoffs, by the way, and who you think are favored to win? Good night now!